Welcome to Black Men Speak, a podcast that highlights ordinary black men doing extraordinary things. On today's show, we're going to talk to Tyrese Aline Davis. In 2020, Tyrese celebrated his 21st birthday alone in his NYU dorm room in the middle of the pandemic. As he focused on his life and where he wanted to go, the isolation he felt being confined to a wheelchair due to his disability, he poured out his visceral thoughts in a Facebook post. Those thoughts were eventually turned into an experimental documentary short called In the Wake of Morning by Editorial McKinney, a fellow Georgetown alum. Interesting enough, eight years earlier, Editorial had made a short film as part of the Make a Films Foundation, based for kids program, about Tyrese. We will discuss how life has changed since that first film, and what he thinks about what our ideal America should look like, and what are some of his favorite books. Before we start the interview, you will first hear an audio clip from his first film, and an excerpt from the documentary short, In the Wake of Morning. On that note, let's start the show. this film 10, 20 years down the road, I want them to all realize that you can do anything you put your mind to, no matter what, don't let anything stop you. You have the determination and mindset that normal people don't have. You need to be grounded and you need to have this mindset that nobody can take away from you. You need to know what you, what you want to do and you can't let anybody change that. As a black man, as a black disabled man, as a member of the disabled community, as a social outcast, I too wonder where will the fairness in humanity come? When will the fairness and humanity be there? When will I wake up and feel equal as my counterparts? Therese, how you doing, brother? Welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Keith. I'm very honored to be here. Um, so before we kind of get into the documentary and just the mindset of where you were at that time, for those of us that are, that are watching, you know, let us know who you are. Who is Tyrese Eline Davis? I am Tyrese Eline Davis, 24 years old, born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, just recently graduated from New York University with a bachelor's degree in creative writing. Um, I'm a public speaker, I'm a mentor, and I'm just a person who likes to share knowledge and a positive message with the world. Okay, that's great. So so in, in Morning, which is the name of the documentary, what, give me kind of a, I mean, when we saw the clip, but give me a brief synopsis of what it, how it actually came about. In the wake of morning, it uh, came about from me actually doing an assignment that stemmed from a James Baldwin film called I Am Not Your Negro. And the film was also a book as well. Um, and I felt so emotionally moved after viewing the Netflix film um, that I felt like I need to just, you know, unload all the, all the heavy pressure I was feeling in my body and my mind and my heart and my soul you know, and put it someplace where, you know, I could go back to it or I could, you know, have evidence of it. So uh, um, I had 
submitted the recording originally as a homework assignment, but then I was like, let me just post it somewhere publicly so I can like it, it, it could feel free from from my phone because I felt like um it, it needed to be put somewhere. And then I, I uh, decided on Facebook because I figured nobody ever checks Facebook. So, you know, it would be safe there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it, it would be safe there. And sure enough, a couple of months later, Adi Toro um, actually messaged me, checking up on me after uh, hearing the audio. And after speaking for a couple of days, she was like, I don't know what you're doing later on this summer, but we have to put a visual to this, you know, uh, a gri gri gripping and emotionally charged audio because people need to hear this message. And lo and behold, the wake in the morning was born. Yeah, in the wake of morning, I actually misspoke. So thank you for that. Uh, and and it was really, yes, the, and I'm glad she did. The actual visual video actually really captured your message in a fantastic way. So, so yeah, so let's go back um, to age 12. When Adatoro first filmed you, what what was your outlook, outlook on life back then? Um. I think my outlook on life was uh, uh, the outlook of any middle schooler or preteen, you know, very naive, very, you know, mm. hopeful in, in, in the goodness of humanity. You know, this is what the next 10 years of my life is going to look like. I have everything planned out. I'm going to go to this school. I'm going to get this job and, you know, uh, build the career that I want. And it's funny that I look back on that now and <laughs> relatively none of that plan actually happened, but you know, I'm right where I, I was meant to be. So I'm grateful for the journey. Okay. Cause I'm, I'm, I mean, that's a pretty great, great outlook. Cause I know dealing with middle schoolers now, <laughs> they, I don't, they don't have as much as a positive outlook nowadays. So the fact that you were there, it really speaks volumes. Um, and I attribute that keeps to my upbringing. You know, I come from a strong black family. Um, I don't know if my mom is watching this, but you know, my mom, Felicia Aline, my brother Tyrell, my aunt Hazel, my aunt Kim, you know, I have a very solid core of family who was who there to guide me and make sure I was, you know, going to be a productive member of society. It was never about, oh, Tyrese can't do this or Tyrese can't do that. It's Tyrese is going to do everything he wants to do. We just have to figure out how he's going to do it in his own way. So they never allowed me to use my disability or any obstacle as a crutch from stopping my dreams or uh, any goals I wanted to achieve. And, and, and they've kept me humble and grounded. And I think, you know, my humility has allowed me to open many doors and I'm grateful for my family because without them, I wouldn't be Tyrese. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Shout out to them. And they actually, and they, and they actually considered you the captain of the team as well. Yes. Um, everybody kind of like rallies around me, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm one person who always has something good to say, you know, I, I I'm able to build a morale around the family back up when we're going through tough times. And I just love every one of my family members dearly. Okay. Great. And so you actually, and so just watching the video, you can said you, you consider yourself naive at the time. So next question really is when did you 
kind of when did your kind of emotions or you know your outlook on life start to change or get a little bit more and i hate to use this for it but get a little bit more jaded or cynical as soon as i got out of high school entering in college and i saw the constant media coverage of like you know black death and you know black community suffrage it's like it, it really kicked into gear and not not that i didn't pay attention to it all throughout high school but especially like in my junior senior year of high school going into college you know um and seeing you know the impact of police brutality and violence on communities uh, like the one that i'm a member of it just really ripped my heart and it was like mm -hmm. i need to I need to go from thinking that I'm a victim to being an activist and trying to speak out on, you know, these issues in any way, shape or form. I feel like God put a pen in my hand for a reason. And, and you know, it's for those reasons that I need to be the best advocate and voice I can be. <laughs> and so what are what were some of the ways that you exerted some of your activism where was there anything anything particularly did, that you wrote or you know spoke about it because i know you said you're a public speaker so any of those that you did to try to get the attention of what was going on at the time um I, um I, I remember um when i was in high school i had just started my uh poetry journey and i used to have this notebook um in high school where i used to write like ideas on poems and then like i remember eric, eric the eric gardner incident and i remember writing a poem and i was like you know even though i'm upset it feels good to get this anger on the page and do something creative with it and then when i got to nyu i was able to join a poetry club and you know we, we would have meets and talk about social issues so it was great to build a community around you know language and art and find people who who love expressing their self just as much as I do. But, you know, uh, NYU is also a great place for, you know, the sharing and, and, and spread of knowledge. So I, I was learning just as much as other people were learning. And it just felt great to feel like I was doing something right with my voice. Mm -hmm. Well, that's great. I'm glad you were able to, to capture that. Uh, so what I thought was quite interesting is that you in the in the documentary you mentioned that we needed to we as a collective people needed to decide the type of america that we want to live in so what do you feel is the type of america that we have right now i feel like it is a very one-sided uh america you know we have the constitution and we say that everybody's governed and protected under a certain body of laws but then when you turn on the news and you look at court proceedings and then you look at like statistics on juries and everything else it points in another direction so if we're gonna have a land that is governed by certain laws or a body of judges or courts that are um that's do that have the duty of upholding a certain standard of, of just law, then it needs to be clear across the board. You know, it can't be, okay, he gets away on, 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 on for this type of charge because he was having a bad day when it was, if, if, if it's a person of color, they, they would chastise the individual or relatively throw them under the jail, you know, and they mm -hmm. wouldn't even have a chance for to, to, to see the light of day. So I think in a perfect world, 
the, these laws need to be reevaluated and, and it needs to be more clear cut across the board of how we're going to uphold punishment and law. Absolutely. That's very uh, poignant. And so I know that's that's perfect. But what do you think do you think we'll get to that point? To be completely honest with you, Keith, and I mm-hmm. say this with everything in my heart, I don't think that day will ever come. Oh, really? That's how you feel? I, I think because, you know, uh, America and, and this country has, you know, had such a deep history with slavery and, you know, the powers that be have been controlling a lot of our narrative for so long that, you know, we're, we're never going to be able to rel- relinquish that power. But I think we, ha- we, we have a better platform to express our, our grief now. 15, 20 years ago, you know, it, 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 30, 40 years ago, it, it, it was non-existent to log on to, uh, you know, Facebook or YouTube and, and see a type of web, web show like this that, you know, had, had a type of guest like myself and yourself mm-hmm. talking about, you know, issues that need to be, you know, uh, uh, dealt with in our communities. But I think, you know, even though we never have that power back, I think we have the platform and more resources. Mm, okay. Yeah, and, we actually go ahead. And, and another beautiful thing, sorry to cut you off. Okay. Um but I, I really love the movement with black black individuals in the spaces of tech and media because we have a lot more app developers of color and tech people of color that can build our own platforms and build apps for people of our communities and skin colors and not have to rely on, you know, uh the the other the other four or five you know common social media platforms that we've been having who are known to censor some you know some content or you know some some important uh conversations that need to be had and it sounds from what i'm hearing a lot of this a lot of what you're saying was inspired by um james baldwin i am not your negro yes um and um Tell me a little bit about that. Was that video the first time you had basically heard some of his his rhetoric or some of his work? Yeah, Expl- explain to me how you act. You came about watching that and and why it impacted you so deeply. My, my relationship with James Baldwin's work actually started um, the summer before I started at NYU. Um, the scholarship program that I was formally a part of had required us to read um, an, an updated version of his famous novel, The Fire Next Time. But the, the novel that I read at the time was called The Fire This Time, and it was focusing on mm. current, it, it was focusing on current issues uh, of, of the decade instead of older issues that Mr. Baldwin had previously spoke about. So then after reading the updated version, I went back in the archives and I was like, this is one of the most eloquently courageous men that I've men and artists that I've ever read or you know had the beauty of consuming his art and then I just went into a big deep dive and just like dissected like all of his books and like really got a feel for who he was not only as an artist but as a man and then through learning about him I started to find out more about like Nikki Giovanni and uh Angela Davis and just like building my knowledge of prominent black leaders. 
Well, yeah, it sounds like you've uh, NYU taught you well. You started <laughs> you started really um, using those creative research skills to work and putting them to work. Absolutely. Yes, and so the fire this time. I don't think I've heard of that book. So, what were some of the issues that they were tackled, and was there some similarities between the two books? Um, they they were um a, a big similarity was the, the the racial disparity in America that was that's still prevalent till today. Um, just like they they tackled religion, just like Mr. Baldwin's book did. Um, but one one issue that I remember that the fire next time tackled was like the pipe pipeline pipeline to prison and like you know all the inner mm-hmm. workings of of, mm-hmm. of how, how america is just sacrificing black bodies to a corporate you know prison system that you know doesn't fight for them and their justice and their family at the end of the day so um that that hit me in the face because mm-hmm. short, shortly after i did my deep dive into james baldwin i stumbled upon uh, Michelle Michelle Alexander's the the New Jim Crow, and when I read the New Jim Crow, I was like, okay, now now I need to be an activist. I have to do something about this now, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it was a lot of it was a lot of some of the like share, shared views on religion and just just the values of black bodies in hit in Baldwin's America at the time and the current America in the fire next time. Um, so it, it, it was just a overall feeling of in, impending doom on the black community. And, and like both authors, both Baldwin and the uh, individual who wrote the updated version, I, I'm I'm escaping, her, her name is escaping me, but they, they were like, what can we do about this since it's been here for so long and so many generations, you know? Okay. Um, so it kind, it, it kind of left a certain social responsibility up to the reader like this is this is what baldwin was dealing with in the old version this is what i present to you in the new version what are you going to do about it now tyrese you know mm-hmm. and what are what are some of the ways you've used your platform to help to help speak out against some of the things that you're feeling and what has been the overall what's been the overall response to your activism um I when I was at NYU a couple of times a week, I, I um a couple of friends and I used to get together and just have conversations. You know, it, it wasn't like a planned group, it wasn't a planned cl- club, but you know, just talking with the freshmen or you know seniors that that we looked up to about like you know the world we live in, and we were all just scared. And you know, uh every Wednesday night I used to enjoy like meeting in the library and getting a chance to talk about whatever was going on in the news or whatever was said in the media or music or just any facet or form of life that you know we felt bogged down by we could come to the library on Wednesday nights and just talk about things. Because I know one of the things you had mentioned was the fact that you know of course you were doing during the pandemic you felt isolated because of and so talk about that what was the what 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 was the isolation like being the fact that you were at school at the time okay so i i'm a i'm a i'm a person with a disability so when the when my uh campus had shut down um i i was stationary on campus because you know i i'm a person that comes with not only 
a, a motorized wheelchair, but I have other equipment that assist me in my daily life that would have been hard for me to move back and forth from Brooklyn to Manhattan. So I, I was stationary on campus for my safety. And, you know, I'm a part of a lot of like um, message groups uh, via text and other social clubs and, and groups. And people were just saying goodbye without any, any indication of to where, uh, any indication as to if campus was ever going to be normal. So I was seeing friends pack up and go back home. You know, some friends even transferred to other colleges because they couldn't they couldn't deal with the city um so like all, all my friends and my support network were just dispersed and it, it was a it, to, to add on to what was already going on you know this was around the time of my 21st birthday so i i had a celebration planned i had a concrete idea of how i wanted to bring in you know this big chapter of my life and then it just got mm -hmm. dismantled got got dismantled thanks to covid 19. um so I was really just questioning my existence, like, you know, <laughs> like, what am I about to go into and how am I expected to still do work and still be a productive uh, person in academia with all these, you know, all these obstacles in front of me without any clear, any clear path to an exit. Thank you for sharing that, because I really, it really captures just how isolating COVID was, no matter who you are, but especially for you when you where you relied on a social network uh, and su uh, as support for your daily your daily living. And so what would you say helped you get out of that? Um, what helped me get out of that is that was the time where I started I started just trying to create um, like a plan to free my mind. So like I would, I would go and and try to find books in the library because you know I I knew some people that worked in the library and even though campus was closed, you know I, I was able to still get into the library. That that's why networking is so valuable. Oh, okay, so you I, had the you had the hookup. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so I would I would just spend hours in the library just reading and trying to like you know find you know n new knowledge and like try to not stay so stay so stagnant. Um, so I I was just trying to like pour into my creative writing at the time too, and and this was around the time where my, the novel that I'm working on currently was born. My my, my novel idea was actually born in the pandemic. And I used I used that whole uh, that whole chunk of time to really just draft the novel and start making characters that were real life and like dealing with you know social issues. So I, I really viewed the pandemic as a time to like recharge and reflect and like give myself new tools to be a, a better Tyrese. Oh, okay, okay, that's that's fantastic. And so, um. So since you did read a lot, what are some, give me some of your, what are your favorite books? Um, my favorite books, um, I, I would say number one is uh, The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. Um, I would say All About Love by Bell Hooks. I'm, I'm a big Bell Hooks fan. Okay. Um, what else do I like? I like Giovanni's Room. 
Uh, Giovanni's room by Baldwin was a big one. Um, I like a couple of um, Langston Hughes collect Langston Hughes collections of poems. Um, I like uh, there, there's there's another scholar named Ma Major Jackson. He's a great poet. Um, he teaches at Vanderbilt. Um, he uh, he has like this anthology of like black poems that he published uh, throughout his tenure um, while he was in his teaching career, and and, and it just uh, it just spoke to me I, I, as a fellow black man. Um, then oh, how how can I forget Terrence Hayes? Um, oh okay. Ter Ter Terrence Hayes he uh, had this collection of poems called the New American Sonnet. Um, which is like takes the old like the the standard rules of 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 an English sonnet or an Irish sonnet and and makes it like more modern and and urban. So I was just like, oh, oh um um, how can I forget um? <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry, I, I just get excited okay. when I see. I, I hear you. Um, there's this other book called Heavy. A anybody looking for a good book, you have to check out Heavy. H-E-A-V-Y by this author named Kiase Lehman. Um, okay. it, it's a memoir about how, you know, he grew up in the South and his mom tore at Jackson State. And he's seen the racial divide as a young teen in the, in, in, uh, 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 in the, in the South, you know, in the 90s and uh, late mm. 80s. And, okay. and it, it, it just wrecks him throughout the book. Um, and then he, at the tail end of the book, he becomes the adjunct professor at Jackson State, like his mom, and he's, you know, just just re reliving his experiences as a teacher. And um, so uh, all of those authors, um, uh, from Zora Neale Hurston as well, okay. Maya, Maya Angelou, um, Nikki Giovanni, like I, I really, um, I really just use that time to like get deep get deep rooted in black activism and my black culture and i just had a new love for my people and love for art that i you know i i never looked at you know art, art art in that way at that time before because i was never pushed to but because i was isolated and because i you know i i didn't have anything tangible to grab on to give me hope like i i just embodied every text and all the words and really felt something in my spirit Okay, great. And just just to let you know, because uh, your boy Deshaun wanted to give you a shout out, so he's proud of you, and uh, he just said continued blessings on your works and endeavors. So I wanted to just hey. let you know. Hey, hey, D, thank you so much. That's great. So before I get to that, you know, just to you know to keep it light, you had um, you had asked me a question about who uh, before we got started, who who my favorite hip hop artists were. Um, and, well, then you said, who was I listening to when I was in college? So I gave, of course, it's a little bit farther back. So who are some, who are some of your favorite hip hop artists? Okay. If anybody wants to know who Tyrese Allen Davis is without meeting him, and I could only give you an album to listen to, you have to listen to Good Kid, Mad City, From Front to Back by Kendrick Lamar. That whole album is Tyrese Eileen Davis, and I would say uh, 2014 Forest Hills Drive by J. Cole. Those okay. two albums embody who I am. Um, but but to answer your question, uh, 
straight straightforwardly. Um, my top three favorite artists are. Ooh, see, I I I could go a lot of different ways with this, but I'll just keep, <laughs> I'll just keep it general. Okay. Uh, I'm a big MF Doom fan. I, I love all things M- MF Doom. He, okay. He does, he doesn't get a lot of recognition, you know, because he's underground and he never like had a major label about. Gotcha. Um, okay. But I, I I love I love Kendrick because Kendrick his his albums are like anthologies, you know, it's like you're reading a book or he's like a linguistical Martin Scorsese, like everything oh, wow. he makes, okay. everything he makes is just so like uh sonically appealing and it's so vivid. So MF Doom, Kendrick Lamar, and then I would have to say uh, it's a toss-up between Biggie and Jay-Z. Okay, toss-up. Oh. That, that's a that's a pretty tough that's a toss-up there. I can see you depends on what day that what day it is. But yes. just to kind of but to go back then, so you said Kendrick Lamar's album and then J. Cole were were you? Um, or they basically captured the essence of who you are or at the time. So what was it about those albums that captured your spirit? Because those albums, um, 2014 Four Hills Drive and Good Kid Mad City focus on youth. And I, I'm a young man, just like they were young men making those albums. And the contents of those albums are just young people trying to find their bearings in life, seeing all this violence, having all these questions, but still realizing, hey, I have the platform to change things. Mm, okay. And that's, that is true. We do have the platform to change things. That, and we just have to uh, be courageous. And I think you are courageous to, to, to speak out against injustice or things that, uh, that you want. And I think that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on today, because you are courageous uh, just in just of what you go through on a daily basis, but you, as you have a saying, and I'm gonna, I, I haven't mentioned it, but uh, there's no such thing as a bad day. It's just that some days are more challenging than others. And so yes. I'm sure that's the mantra of how you live. Absolutely, because everything, it, it, it's all about, it, uh, I, I, there, there's a saying that life is like, um, 20% what happens to you and 90, 90% or, or 80% how you, di- how you deal with it. Mm-hmm. So like, I, I try to always be appreciative of where I am in life, you know, because there's a lot of people uh, that are living that, you know, don't have the opportunities or support that I have. So I try to, you know, be grounded and stay humble and really realize, you know, the 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 avenues that I'm able to you know explore and the communities that I'm able to bridge together um with my voice and my public speaking or my writing um so when I am having those bad days I rely on my support system and they're able to remind me you know of who I am why I've come this far how I've come this far and you know how much further I have to go so I try to never look at at anything as too bad or too good. I just like Mm -hmm. to take life one step at a time and see how everything unfolds. Because because 
every every corner in our life, no matter whether it's good or bad, it makes us better in some sort of way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. So uh, we we both came in the world at, at deficits, and we we've been able to you know uh 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 break those glass ceilings and really uh 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 solidify ourselves and our dreams and you know i have no plan on stopping or letting anything in the future uh get in the way of me living my best life and you know i hope uh, as i grow in my writing and my activism that i'm able to bring a lot more people with me along this journey and 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 I think you will. I think you will because you are you are inspiring and you know one thing is that you do is you read. <laughs> Reading is fundamental. So you'll be able to draw upon um past scholars, just people that inspire you and use those words to help um a new generation or your generation. So I, I applaud you for that. Absolutely. Thank you so much. So I usually ask one question, but I'm going to ask it kind of in a different way. Um, what, what most, what do you look forward? What are you looking forward to most uh, in this next chapter of your life? Um, being being that I'm a recent college graduate, I'm looking forward to building my career, getting my first job, and really um, entering the workforce. Um, also, I'm excited for this novel to be published. Um, in the near future, I'm I'm excited to just grow as a young man. Um, this summer, I've started mentoring high school students in special education, teaching them how to write, te- teaching them how to write and uh, write English uh, narratives and and build their professional portfolios. And you know, the I've been doing it for six weeks, almost six weeks now, and it's been. Okay. It's been the most exciting, you know, patient, uh, 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 grueling six weeks. But I wouldn't ch- trade it for the world because it teaches me, you know, you know how how important it is to give back to my community, you know, because just like the, uh, I, I'm teaching my students, you can't let anybody dictate your dream. You know, if you believe in something, no matter what learning disabilities you may have, no matter what physical disabilities you have, there is help and there is a community and you don't have to do it alone. And I am here to help you and guide you as best as I can, you know? Oh, that's that's awesome. So you see, now, now I have to ask another question. What's... Because you said it was grueling. Well, so what made it grueling? And then two, what was your most, what has been the most inspiring story that you could share within these past six weeks? That you it's, it was grueling, it's grueling because I, I, I see through the, 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 the students how, how the educational system in America really underserves parents and students with disabilities and mm-hmm. intellect intellectual difficulties um the, these are bright minds and all of my students i love them dearly but you know i i talk to my co-workers in our weekly staff meetings and i say like if this if the doe um and the the bodies that govern the educational system that we have in america would just pour a little bit more extra time into these students you know, da- daily lives and educational journeys, um, th- they would be so, so much further than what they already are. I-, I feel like a lot of the educational system just like 
allows them to do the bare minimum without you know showing them mm. you can you can achieve more i don't know if it's to keep certain numbers the way they are i don't know if it's to keep a certain quota of um special education staff in, in a certain place but i feel like all students in special education shouldn't be limited by a teacher telling them no college is not for you or you can't get that job or why would you take mm. you know why would you take this offer? Why would you go to that school? Like, no, nobody should limit somebody that's not their child. And that, and then that inspiring story. You have one you could share. Um, I I, I can share one from this past week. Um, okay. I was working with a student, and I, and I will not mention any names, of course, for confidentiality. But right, right. Um, he he was really struggling with telling a part of his story. And then um, he he because he 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 was never taught how to like structure his writing properly. So like this was his first introduction into writing at an advanced level. So he I I had given him a prompt and like he had struggled it struggled with it for a couple of days. So then when I start class one one morning. I just see this light go off in his in his eyes when he's writing, and I'm like, he was like, I finally know how to answer it. And then he started to like relate the question to him, you know, and his life and his strength. And I was like, see, that's how you do writing when you get like presented with the hard question, try to relate it best to your life as, as much as you can. So, mm -hmm. um, um, through through those small exercises, he was able to like, you know. Uh, correctly explain everything that was on his mind and it, it, his story and his narrative that he's writing is turning turning out very great and I'm proud of all of them you know and and it's the the little wins that get me up in the morning and get me ready to teach the kids it's not like what can they do at the end of the program is what, what can they do tomorrow that makes their day better or like you know, when they finally find that word they've been looking up in the dictionary for for two, three days and they finally get it. Like just just seeing that enthusiasm that I had when I first picked up my pen, you know, that's what keeps me going with the kids. And I, I will definitely be back with them next summer because um, I'm very proud of all of them. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I don't know about you, but I, I do kind of hear future teacher professor up in there. And, yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I I am not limiting myself to any teaching. Um, I feel like being a teacher is what I was meant to do because being a person with a disability, you have to have a level of empathy and understanding and patience that normal people or able-bodied people don't have. So I feel like I have that empathic knowledge to um, reach down and pull, you know, as many beautiful, bright, gifted kids as I can up. Um, so I'm very excited about the possible journey and optimistic about the future. Maybe you'll see me at a, at a college campus next. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for this. Tyrese, uh, I have to say this was a wonderful experience. And for those of you that are listening, this is the beauty of why I do this. Um, like I said, this podcast is called Black Men Speak, and it's highlighting ordinary black men doing extraordinary things and Tyrese is one of those people so I'm just blessed that I've had the opportunity to interview him today and I really look forward to um, what's gonna happen in the future especially your novel so 
I'm definitely will stay in touch when the novel is almost done. Let me know, and then we'll have you back on again. Because I can't wait to hear what this novel is about. I, I I can give you a brief synopsis if you would like. Okay. Oh yeah, absolutely. Please do. Um, it is based in Florida, and it is about uh, a main character named Vanessa, who is a very prominent softball pitcher, and she's gearing up to play college softball. But then, in the summer before her senior year of high school. She contacts uh, melanoma skin cancer, and so th- throughout the book, she's dealing with uh, her choice of fighting to save her athletic career because her melanoma is progressive, or fighting to save her life. And she's also a member of the uh, LGBTQ plus community, so she's also a- dealing with an identity crisis, and-, and it's like an internal war. So she has the physical war with her body, and then the eternal war with her emotions. And the novel is just so multi-layered that I can't wait for you guys to see the finished product. It, it, yeah, it sounds multi-layered already. Wow, I can't wait. I can't wait to, to read it and and definitely have you back on again to kind of talk about some of that. So, uh, Tyrese, thank you for being on today. Absolutely. Thank you for everyone. Thank you, Keith, for having me, and I look forward to possibly coming back. Thank you. Thank you, Tyrese. Your thoughtfulness, insight, and passion really shine through in this interview. If you would like to follow Tyrese, go to the show notes and check out his social media platforms. If you want to know more about Editorial's work, please go to backdoorfilms.com. Black Men Speak was written, produced, and edited by me, Keith Dent. You can find previous episodes at Lipson, Apple, and Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. As you know, we like to end the show with a quote. And this one definitely comes from Tyrese Ellen Davis. There is no such thing as a bad day. Just some days are more challenging than others. This is Keith Dent from the Black Men Speak podcast. Peace.